Hello, and welcome to Cauldron Cakes and Wine. My name is Polly, and it's just me today. So, as always, just a reminder that this podcast is marked explicit. We sometimes talk about sensitive subjects, and we sometimes swear as well. Be sure to check the show description for content warnings. And as always, please remember that this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We talk about all seven Harry Potter books and extended universe things, which includes what we're talking about today, which is The Cursed Child. Please be sure to like, subscribe. You can check us out on social media at CC and Wine or Cauldron Cakes and Wine on pretty much all social media. We have Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. We now have TikTok. Did I say Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. We've got them all. Go check us out. Also, be sure to check out our sister podcast, The Femme Flicks Podcast. Me and Asta talk about movies over there, and we just did one on Dirty Dancing. It was a lot of fun, so go and check that out. So, as I mentioned before, today we are going to be talking about The Cursed Child, um, and it's just going to be me going solo, because, yeah, things are rough right now. Still in the middle of a pandemic still not great. So uh, 2021, my motto is we are surviving, not thriving. It's fine. Just get by. Anyways, so I'm going to jump right in. Um, I did read The Cursed Child when it first came out. I have never watched the play and I refuse to watch a bootleg um, copy of it. Not because I'm like morally opposed to you know, uh, like bootleg copies of plays and stuff like that. I just think that they're always terrible quality and it really bothers me to watch it. So that's why I'm not going to watch a bootleg copy. I'm just going to listen to the audiobook of it and I'm going to talk about what I think about it. Personally, I really think that theater productions would really benefit from having like a streaming service where you could watch like pro edits of their plays or musicals. I think it would really help younger generations get more into plays and musicals. I... I know that the idea is like, oh, if we put it out there, people aren't going to want to go and pay to see it in theaters, but like I watched Hamilton on Disney Plus when it when it went up and I did not give a shit about Hamilton and now I want to go and see it. So I feel like there's a lot of people like me who it would be more accessible for them and it makes them more interested in it. And I just, I think that they need to get on board with that. But anyways, that's my, my hot take on that. We're going to get into The Cursed Child now. Um, I find it insufferable and annoying that these kids' names are already established characters in my head. It's so fucking annoying. It's so fucking annoying that J.K. Rowling named these kids that in the first place. I know that this isn't by J.K. Rowling, but that's what they had to work off of was these horrible, horrible names that... J.K. Rowling gave them, like, Albus Severus, like, Potter. Albus Severus Potter. Fuck off, J.K. Rowling. What were you thinking? Um, It's very, very confusing for the first little bit when you're listening to it, because when you hear Albus, you think of Albus, obviously. So it it takes a little bit of, like, reframing in your head. Um, Was this originally written like a fan fiction? Because it feels like a fan fiction. I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Uh, Not all fan fictions are bad. I just, it really, really, it reads like a fan fiction to me. Um, I really loved the idea of Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy's kids becoming friends. Um, 
Albus Potter was sorted into Slytherin, which makes sense because I actually think Slytherin and Gryffindor have some like similar characteristics. And I could see one of Harry's kids definitely being in Slytherin. <laughs> that being said, uh, that moment kind of highlights what we already know about the sorting process, that it puts too much pressure on kids. It puts a lot of pressure on Albus. Albus is basically like the exact opposite of Harry, and it makes me think of how horrible it would be to be the child of someone famous and to be so different from them. I, you know, like, could you imagine being one of the Kardashians' children and just being like, fuck it. I don't give a shit about Instagram and fake tans. (laughs) I did struggle a little bit because reading a play is very different than seeing a play. So it's hard to decipher how I really feel about it at some times. Part of me feels like it's very basic and doesn't go very deep. But then I have to remind myself that so much of the format of theater is acting versus when you read a book, they're able to actually go a lot deeper into the emotions and describe them to you. So in this, Harry works for the ministry. He's the head of the I don't know, like the police force, basically, the magical police force. He's the head of it. And Hermione is the minister of magic. And she comes in to tell Harry off for not doing paperwork at his ministry job. And I just like rolled my eyes so hard. Like, girl, you did all the emotional labor for him in school. And now you have to do it too in adulthood at your job. Good fucking Lord. (sighs) That would be pretty realistic, though. Um, I did like that they made Hermione the Minister of Magic, though. I think that that's, like, very on-brand. Good job. I like that. So Amos Diggory comes to Harry's house and tells him that he wants to use an illegal time-turner to bring Cedric Diggory back. And Harry has to lie to him Harry has to lie to him about this, and it's really a really sad moment, but it's basically the crux of the entire plot of this play. We see Harry parenting, and it's pretty weird. He tries to give Albus this blanket that Harry had left, like, that Harry had gotten from the Dursleys, um, and it's basically the blanket that he was left on their step wrapped in and Harry basically says that he likes to hold it on Halloween so that he can feel close to his parents and it's kind of sweet but it's also kind of weird mostly because Albus is a preteen and he can't really understand the significance of the or the he, he doesn't really understand the significance or the importance of this kind of a thing. Harry's trying desperately to relate to his kid, but this is not the kind of gift that a preteen can fully understand, and it's not great. And it ends up resulting in a big fight between him and his kid, um, between him and Albus, and Harry ends up saying to Albus, at least you've got a dad. And then tells him, there are times I wish you weren't my son, (laughs) which is pretty bad. Um, I think it's kind of hard to imagine that Harry would 
ever say that to someone, particularly his son. It seems a little bit out of character for him because that's not really who we see Harry as in the original book run. But the more that I would think about it, Harry didn't really have parents. And the most parenting that he did get was through the Dursleys. So he doesn't really know what to do as a parent. He had no real role models. And obviously he saw a lot of what not to do from the Dursleys. And you can contrast that with being in the Weasleys house, but he wasn't at the Weasleys all the time. And I think it's very hard for people to parent in general, but particularly when you don't have a guide for it. Um, When you grow up not really seeing parenting in action, it makes it very hard for you then to yourself parent. And I think that we also all really replicate a lot of things from our childhood. It's like, I know there are certain things that I do because of the way that I was brought up and good or bad. So it would make sense that Harry maybe would have picked up some really bad habits from the Dursleys from watching them parent him in a really horrible way. Um, There's a scene where Ginny and Harry have a conversation about Harry and Albus and it's really sweet. All of the scenes with Ginny are really, really sweet and really lovely. You don't see Harry and Ginny actually together a lot in the original books, and it's really nice that these two are depicted together in these really nice scenes. We flash forward, everybody is on the Hogwarts Express, and they keep talking about the trolley witch, and I had this really funny moment where I wrote down, why can't they give her a name? And then literally within the next few minutes later she meets albus and scorpius on the top of the train and she's like she basically says no one asks me my name and she can't remember her name because it's been so long then she starts to throw candy and sweets at the kids because they're trying to get off the train and it is just a wild ride she has like spikes growing out of her hands it's kind of incredible I would love to see how they did that on stage. Um, It's a bit frustrating that this whole place surrounds Voldemort. Like, nothing bad can ever happen in this series if it isn't surrounding Voldemort and Harry's scar. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Yeah. So Albus and Scorpius are going to try and bring Cedric Diggory back from the dead using their illegal time turner and with the help of uh, Delphi, Delphini, Delphi, she is Amos Diggory's niece, or that's what we think at this time. I really enjoyed the friendship between Scorpius and Albus. It is always refreshing to see sort of, in quotations, atypical male friendships. Not saying that male friendships are atypical, just that there's something about their interaction and it isn't one you typically see in media. It's really cute. They like talk about their feelings and how they care for each other and admit to being afraid. And there's a lot of vulnerability between the way that they interact. And it's really, really cute. The character names get even more confusing. I was listening to the audiobook and it's like... (laughs) They 
they use Polyjuice Potion to transform so that they can go into the Ministry of Magic. And the names are like Delphi as Hermione, Scorpius as Harry, Albus as Wrong. And I'm like, oh my God, there are so many names being thrown around right now. This is so hard to keep track. So continuing on. Harry does the worst thing possible. He tells Elvis that he cannot be friends with Scorpius. And, like, this is some pretty terrible parenting. Um, and then he goes and he gets the Marauder's Map. And he he basically takes the Marauder's Map and wants Professor McGonagall to spy on them. To see if they're spending time together and tell them to, to not. And I kind of had a moment where I realized that this was... Uh, like alternative universe Harry (laughs) and I was like oh so maybe like normal Harry wouldn't do this but I was I'm still kind of confused about it I don't really understand if Harry would have actually done that had all of time not been sort of changed and wibbly wobbly timey things were happening Um, maybe he would have I have no fucking clue (laughs) While Harry is telling Professor McGonagall that she needs to do this, she basically tells him that this is a really bad idea and that children will not respond to this. And he says something so horrible to her. He he says, with the greatest respect, Minerva, you don't have a child. You don't understand. And McGonagall replies with, I hope that a lifetime spent in teaching profession would mean, and she gets cut off. This is so brutal. As somebody who has 10 years of experience working with children, but has no children myself, I find this to be so offensive. And parents will say things like this. I will like never pretend to understand the bond between a parent and a child because I don't have that. That being said, as somebody who has in-field experience and also has an educational background in this, um, I'm more than capable of knowing what is in a child's best interest and what approaches would be appropriate for different children. (laughs) Just because I'm not a parent, just because I'm not a parent does not change that. Um, This really bothered me. It really struck a nerve in me, Um, especially thinking about it from the perspective of Harry and McGonagall, because McGonagall has done nothing but protect and, and really help nurture and help Harry grow throughout his life. And he should know that she is somebody he should be taking advice from. And I can only chalk this up to it being like slightly timey-wimey bullshit where like Harry had some sort of different life experiences that we didn't see and he's just a dick in this alternate universe (laughs) this is just like a side note the audiobook that I was listening to used the strangest voice for Moaning Myrtle I could not wait for it to end I was like please make her character go away Um, I'm not gonna lie, I was really confused about how time turners work. The adults seem to figure out that time is being messed with, so it makes it feel like they're alternative universe versions of themselves, but like also makes it feel like they aren't. Because Hermione acts totally different. She's a teacher and she she's a 
Hogwarts professor. And to put it bluntly, like she is rude and mean and horrible and her and Ron aren't together and their kid isn't alive. So there's a lot of things that are different, but I just, I don't like when the rules of magic are ambiguous in a universe that I am consuming. I feel very strongly about that. I think that it's hilarious that when they sort out the timey-wimey stuff, (laughs) McGonagall gives everyone a lecture. She gives Albus and Scorpio and all of the adults. Like, Hermione is the Minister of Magic and Professor McGonagall is like, how dare you hide a time-turner in a bookshelf? You are being dumb. And I just think it's really, really funny. Um, okay. The flow of this play is kind of weird. It has a climax and a resolution, and then it keeps going, and there's a twist and a fake out. And I get that, but it also kind of created a weird flow. Like, a really, really weird flow. I didn't really like it. (laughs) I will say I do like the twist where Delphi is not good and she's actually not the um she's not Amos Diggory's niece I liked that um it was pretty good just for some reason the flow of it still didn't really work for me I'm pretty well versed in sci-fi stuff uh but normally stuff with time definitely gets me a little bit confused. Um, I mean, I watched all of Doctor Who, but Doctor Who has very, very clear rules about uh, how time travel works in that universe, and they have very loose rules on how it works, so you never really get that confused. This was just a little bit hard to follow. It was hard for me to keep track of. If people are going back in time and changing things, then how do the people forward in time like know about the changes? They would have completely different life events, so how do they know about them? Or is there like, I don't know. I just think the rules around the time turner were very vague, and they got away with it because it's an illegal time turner, so it doesn't work like other time turners. But I just needed a little bit more astra- um, I just needed a little bit more established rules for my liking. I don't really care what the rules are. I don't really care if the rules even fully make sense. As long as they're clearly stated and stuck to, that's more what I like. Yeah. So Harry has a moment where Harry keeps going, basically Harry keeps going back and he keeps talking to Dumbledore's portrait and there's a moment where he confronts him and and he basically is like, why would you leave me at Privet Drive so that I can, so that I would endure what I had to endure? And it's kind of nice moment. It's kind of gratifying. It's nice to see Harry be like, what happened to me in my childhood was really messed up and you could have prevented it. I think as a Harry Potter fan, it's very gratifying 
to to see Harry have this moment and question him, even though he's not actually talking to Dumbledore, he's talking to his portrait. And we know that portraits aren't actually the person, but it it was interesting. It was a it was a very gratifying moment. I feel like there's a lot, a lot of fan service in this play for Draco fans. Him and Harry having an adventure together where they are almost like friends and Draco sticks up for Harry. It feels like Draco really gets to be humanized and gets some sort of redemption that's missing in the original series. So I could see a lot of like Draco fans really liking this. I could see a lot of Dreary fans really finding this enjoyable to watch. Um, I could see this being a really like good build off for Harry and Draco fan fiction. You know, uh, I think that that was something that was done really well. And I think Draco's character in this was kind of interesting to watch change and develop throughout the series. Or, I mean, throughout the play, sorry. Um, I think this play, in general, had some really great fan service in it. There's a moment between Harry and Ginny where she compares herself after the Chamber of Secrets to how Albus will feel after this whole ordeal. And she talks about how Harry was the one who kind of, like he was kind to her after the Chamber of Secrets when nobody else was. And she says that he played exploding snaps with her and that this is the kind of um, thing that people don't really know about him. They know that he's brave and does all of these big things, but they don't know how nice and how kind he is and how it's these like smaller acts of bravery that make Harry who he is. And she says that this is what his son needs from him. And then Harry tells Ginny how lucky he is to have her. And, like, this feels like pure fan service in the best way possible. Um, It's actually a really cute moment for Harry and Ginny. I know people don't always like fan service, but I think that it's something, when it's done well, it can be done really, really well. And in something like this, where you are drawing from a pre-existing universe to create a new story i think that it's oh one second sorry sorry about that i'm back but yeah i think when you're drawing from a pre-existing universe in the way that we are in this book i think that fan service is something that can be really really powerful to utilize because it's going to allow the viewers to really really like and enjoy diving into this universe with a different author without the nostalgia factor I just, I think that the way that they utilized sort of fan service in this was really smart and really clever because there were times where I was a little bit like, why am I really reading this? What am I really doing here? And those little bits were what drew me back into the play. Um, I just didn't care that much I wasn't that invested in the characters that I didn't already know. And I think that that's, I'm going to talk more about my final thoughts on this whole play later. So I'll talk more about it then. Um, Okay. Yeah, we had even more fan service later with 
Draco, where Hermione tells the group to do something, and he goes, Hermione Granger, I'm being bossed around by Hermione Granger, and I'm mildly enjoying it. And I was like, oh my god. Like... Like, people who ship them together probably would, like, lose their shit at that, right? Uh, Right? Right? Am I right? I don't know. I found Draco to be one of the best parts of this entire play, and that's wild considering I hate Draco Malfoy in the books, particularly. (laughs) I think they did, what they did with his character here is really fun. Uh, I enjoyed that he kind of like joins the gang on their adventure and that his son is best friends with Harry Potter and that he is like pro them being close friends. I really enjoyed that. Um, okay. So Delphi, Delphi, I'm probably not saying her name right. It's like Delphi, Delphine. I, I can't really remember, and I didn't write it down correctly because I was listening to the audiobook, so I've never seen the spelling of it, but she is the child of Voldemort and Bellatrix, and I cannot tell you how much of, like, a visceral reaction I had to this. I already knew it. I already knew it, but I still had such a strong reaction to this. I hate it. I hate the idea that Voldemort and Bellatrix had a child. I hate the idea that Voldemort and Bellatrix had sex. I do not know why, and I do not want to dive into why. I am so uncomfortable with this. I would rather just imagine that Voldemort is asexual. I do not want to think about him having sex. Uh, maybe it's because of the way that he's portrayed in the movies with like the no nose and like the slits. So the, and like, he's just like a mass. Like he's just like, <sighs> he's got this weird, almost snake-like head on like just robes. Like there's nothing under those robes to me. You know, like I typically like to say that I think of the human body as being a Barbie doll. Like it's all plastic. There are no organs inside here. You cannot tell me otherwise. I don't want to know about that grossness. Okay. I don't give a shit about biology. We are plastic like Barbie dolls. And I like to think of Voldemort as being just a black mass of robes, okay? There is nothing under those robes. There's no moving parts under there for him to do anything with Bellatrix, okay? Listen, Bellatrix, that's fine. She can go and have sex with somebody. That is not the part of the equation that is the problem to me. It is the Voldemort aspect of all of this. Voldemort no thank you. I do not want to think about it. I've spoken about this way longer than I should have and I have to just move the fuck on. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Um, okay. So I know that I haven't been talking for very long. This is probably only going to be about a half an hour. I apologize. I just didn't have that many thoughts about this play. Um, So I'm just going to really wrap it up with sort of my overall thoughts. I thought this play was fun. I thought there was some fun fan service in it. Um, When it first came out, I was 
pretty shocked that like jk rowling had given this play it's like her blessing um because i don't think they would have been able to move forward without her support and i believe in the dedications like there's a message like from her it, it, she 100% like gave this the stamp of approval and not that I really care what JK Rowling says anymore whatsoever like I stopped listening to her the moment she started talking about wizards like magicking away their own shit like I don't care what this woman says about this universe I'm gonna just pick like my own versions of canon for it and you know obviously with the current events and current sort of place that she is in in sort of the like our culture uh i care even less what she has to say oh i forgot i should mention this because when i was editing the last episode i realized that like g and i do this thing where we sometimes just refer to jk rowling as anonymous because it's just like a joke that we have where we're like (laughs) We like to pretend that we can't remember who wrote the the Harry Potter series anymore and we call we just call JK Rowling anonymous sometimes. <laughs> I realized I didn't explain that and when we were when I was editing it, I was like, this is really weird. I'm gonna leave it in that but like so yeah, if you hear us referring to something as like anonymous, it's that's what what we're talking about. <laughs> It's just like a like inside joke with us that I proceed to put in the podcast and talk that way in the podcast. And then I've also like written on like Instagram captions before, like written by anonymous. And I realized like it makes probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe people, I'm going to give people more credit than, uh, than that. Maybe they realize what I'm doing, but maybe they don't. So I just thought I should explain that. Oh my god, I feel like I'm cracking right now. Okay, it's been a long, uh, it's been a long month, two months. I don't know how how much how long we've been in quarantine for the second time. <sighs> okay, center. <laughs> I feel like I'm in like a wacky mood now. Um, <laughs> recording alone is weird. This is weird. Anyways. So, like I was saying, overall, I thought this was fun. I thought it had some really fun fan service in it. Um, But overall, there's something that I can't quite put my finger on that I just don't like about this. And at the end of the day, I would like to reject this play as being a part of the Harry Potter canon. And that's just me. That's me. Going forward, this play is not a part of canon to me. Um... I think maybe it's because the only reason that Harry Potter really holds up at all is because of the nostalgia factor. So you're diving into a book that wants you to care about this universe and care about characters that don't have any nostalgia to them. Um, And I think that this play does as good of a job as it possibly can. I liked Albus, I liked Scorpius, I liked those characters, I liked them together, I liked their interactions together, but it only goes so far to me because it, they're, they're just not the Harry Potter characters at the end of the day. 
I don't have any nostalgia surrounded them. And I think that that's why most of my notes and most of the things that I had to say were about the older characters and how they interacted because I care more about them. But at the end of the day, I don't care that much about this aspect of them. So... I would say this play probably gets a 7 or an 8 out of 10. I think that they did the best that they could do. I understand maybe why people would want to go and see this play. Um, I don't know that I would go and see this play. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I get it. I get why people would want to go and see this. Um... So that's pretty much all I have to say on this. I apologize. This is a, a rather short episode, um, but I didn't think we would really get an episode out otherwise. So I just, I decided to listen to this and just record a, a little something to put up for this month. So with that being said, um, I'm not really sure what next month will look like right now because we're all a little at odds right now because like, not with each other. That sounded bad. I, that's, <laughs> I don't mean it like that. We're all, like, to be blunt, we're all struggling because we are in, you know, like, this is a, coming up to a year of being in a pandemic and we all have mental health issues and it's very hard to get together and podcast. It's, it's not the same to record the podcast through Zoom and we're just, we're just, you know, struggling. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to do this. Um, I am lucky because my mental health, the way that it manifests is I have a trauma response to overstimulate myself and overwork myself. So I could kind of turn this on, uh, at the last minute to just be like, okay, this will fill some of my time. Um, so I'm lucky in that way, but not everybody is like that. So I will try and do something next month. I'm not sure what it will be. I, <laughs> G, G and I rewatched one of the, the, like the first Twilight movie. And I know I said before that like, I was not going to read the rest of the Twilight books. I said uh, after Midnight Sun, I didn't think I could do it anymore. But I, I kind of want to watch the rest of the movies. I kind of want to maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm really thinking out loud here. I'm making zero promises. And I don't even know if that's what people would want to listen to. But <laughs> I think that Twilight is one of the most interesting, like, cultural fever dreams that we all p took part in. And I, there, the, there's something so strange about the movies, particularly to me. The books, I don't know. They, I found them draining. I found it draining to read them. But the movie... Oh my god, watching the movie was an experience and there's something so strange about those movies. It's there's something strange about seeing it in live action, seeing Robert Patterson and Kristen Stewart on stage, seeing everyone clearly just like like just projecting this movie onto a screen where or sorry like it's like they just take the book and they just like vomit it onto the screen and they're like we're just gonna do exactly what's in the book and we're just gonna get the fuck through this and 
I kind of want to look at it. I kind of want to, I want to talk about it. So we might be back with more Goblet of Fire. We might not be. Uh, currently G, um, G was in a car accident. Uh, they're okay, but they have a concussion right now. So I think reading is a little bit more, um, on their plate than maybe what they should be doing. So we'll see. I could probably commit to talking about a Twilight movie. Um, I think I also have the Hunger Game books here. Maybe I'll read those. Listen, I don't fucking know. I'm sorry. We're just at this point in quarantine. I know I've been talking about this for like 10 minutes. I am sorry. I apologize. Like, look, we're just at this point in quarantine where like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And I don't know what the fuck to do with this podcast. So I'm going to try, I will, I will try my best to continue to put out content. It may have to be a pause on the Harry Potter of it all for right now. So I apologize. Uh, uh, you, you'll know in a couple weeks what the verdict is. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm losing it. Okay, so anyways, as always, be sure to check us out on all the social medias. We are either Cauldron Cakes and Wine or CC and Wine. We have Twitter, we have TikTok, we've got Instagram, and we have Tumblr. Um, you can also email us at cauldroncakesandwine at gmail.com. Um, if you have any thoughts about The Cursed Child, sure, let me know. If you have any thoughts about what we should continue to do from here, let me know. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. (laughs) Have a good day, guys. Bye.